The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that may result from listening to this podcast. Hello everyone, this is the Scream Kings podcast. On this podcast, no one can hear you scream. This is Max George. And this is Nathaniel Darkish. We're so excited because this is episode two! Woohoo! Yeah! Can't believe how big of a positive response we've already been getting from just our humble first episode. I know, it's been really crazy to kind of see... You know, Scream Kings podcast on all of these different podcast venues like iTunes and Podomatic and seeing our name and listening to myself through, you know, a program that I would usually listen to other podcasts. It's really surreal, but so fun. So exciting. Yeah. And so definitely a big thanks to all of our listeners. We have been getting yeah lots of positive feedback from friends and family in person and then also of course, just, you know, some people have been reaching out, you know, via social media, and it's all been really great. I was over at my parents' house the other day. My mom was cleaning up. My sister's getting married, and so she's trying to get the house all clean. And I told her that we went live on iTunes, and she was like, yeah, I listened to your podcast already. And I was like, oh my gosh, you actually listen to our podcast. So when I mentioned you in the podcast as being one of the three members listening to the podcast, that was a real thing. Yep. It really happened. Same with my wife. Um, And so definitely super huge thank you. And just kind of going to get this up front. If you you can continue to pass the word along, things like rating or reviewing us on iTunes is going to be really huge for spreading the word. Oh, yeah. Big time. Um, You know, if you want to share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever your favorite social media program is, we would so appreciate it. We are very excited to continue rolling out these episodes we started scheduling out movies we're going to be reviewing and topics that we're going to be discussing and with that in mind we also would love to hear from you guys you know if you have any spooky stories or urban legends that you want to get out there into the world let us know and we'd love to kind of share them with everybody on the podcast yes absolutely um and also kind of uh along the lines of feedback uh, that we've received it's kind of help us realize some mistakes and some room for improvement that that we have from our first episode. And so we just kind of wanted to take a, a moment to kind of address some of those things and you know kind of get ahead of those things now just because you know we're human, we're we're you know new to this podcasting thing and so we definitely want to do the best job we can and so when we make mistakes we definitely want to acknowledge them and uh, move forward uh, from those. Absolutely. And so I think kind of the the biggest one that we received a response from with that first episode we did was um, how it kind of treats the idea of rape and sexual assault. And I think we kind of did a terrible job at really emphasizing how horrible of an event this is to people. Uh, We in no way want to make it a light situation or a humorous type of a situation. It's a terrible thing, horrendous thing that people have to go through and so we just want to make it very well known to our listeners that rape sexual assault sexual abuse any form of abuse really is completely terrible and horrible and to the extent we do just want to provide a number that if there are any people out there who are suffering from sexual assault that they can call it's a 24-hour line you can call it's very safe and they'll help you out the best they can Number is 1-800-656-4673. And again, that's just the sexual assault hotline. Um, If any people listening have any issues or have been struggling with this, please give that number a call. Another thing that I wanted to just talk about briefly is that uh, in the first episode, I, well, when introducing myself, I spent a fair bit of time talking about kind of how uh, my parents, especially my mother, kind of shaped uh, my way of you know not having contact uh, with the horror genre initially in my uh, in my life, and then later on, you know, me having to do things like hide uh, my horror movies and and video games and the like. 
Um, and so I just wanted to, to take a moment just because it was kind of brought to my attention that I, I may have sounded like my mother is kind of a, a crazy person or something like that um, for uh, her dislike of the horror genre. And so I just kind of wanted to um, actually provide some clarification about why uh, that's something that um, she has had a problem with in her life. Uh, because, you know, it's I mean, it's it's my mother. I definitely don't want to give any false impressions about my opinion of her. You know, I love her very much. I respect her. You know, she's one of the best people on the planet, in my opinion. So I, I definitely want to not give that uh, impression because she's very important to me. I mean, she's my mom. Um, so I just wanted to uh, just briefly clarify that uh, a lot of the reason that she actually has uh, some trouble with the horror genre is uh, related to uh, an event when she was growing up. Um, specifically, uh, one of her younger brothers actually uh, died when he was a baby. And so in her home after that, she uh, kept you know, having instances where she felt like, you know, maybe his spirit was also in the home. And so that definitely just, you know, kind of pushed her away from any interest in, in you know, things like ghost stories or like, because to her, you know, she she had had that experience where she had experienced something spiritual related to the, the death of her brother. And she didn't want anything like the horror genre uh, making light of that. And so that's, that's just a, a point of clarification I wanted to make. Finally, uh, just one last thing that we wanted to briefly touch on. Just and this isn't a, so much an, an apology or anything, but but rather just kind of a, an addition because I forgot to mention this and I was really excited to. But something really cool, just a fun little uh, piece of trivia about it, is that uh, the film uh, came out, you know, obviously this year, uh, 2017, and that is 27 years after the original miniseries with Tim Curry. And if you've paid attention, you know, reading the book or uh, watching the movie or miniseries or anything like that. Notice that 27 years is a uh, is the amount of time in which it goes into hiding before it reemerges and has another cycle of terror. So I think that's a really cool piece of trivia that, just like the creature itself, the a cinematic adaptation of it also reemerged 27 years later. So one of my favorite pieces of horror trivia ever. Super cool. It really is awesome that they kind of pulled that off. You know, it it almost makes me want them to wait another 27 years for the second chapter of the new movie, but I liked the movie too much. Yeah, so I, I, I think wait. I saw, uh, I think that the news actually as of today is that it will be coming out in 2019. Oh, awesome. I didn't yeah, see that. That's I, that was great. announced earlier today. So that, that should be pretty cool. Um, though I, yeah, part of me does kind of want them to wait 27 years and just have the same cast of of the kids uh, come back because that would be super rad yeah, that would be some serious commitment but i'm too impatient well you'll you'll get it sooner than later then <laughs> true um so we wanted to introduce a few new segments to the podcast now that our pilot is out of the way and we've popped our podcast cherry um where you know, Nathaniel and I have very different backgrounds. We kind of wanted to explore those avenues a little bit more in depth here on the podcast. And so, of course, our primary focus is going to be reviewing horror movies and uh, looking at the genre as far as that goes. But more specifically, we wanted to give Nathaniel a little bit um, to talk about some of his horror writing, whether that be his own or some you know, of those horror stories that he's read in his free time, stuff that he's just come across, uh, just and share that with you guys so that we can give you some stuff to look out for in the community. Um, and then I'm going to take a little segment towards the end after our horror movie review. I'm going to call it Max's Occult Corner. Doom, doom, doom. That's a working title. I might make it more snappy and fun. But um, that is just going to be... A chance for me to explore some urban legends that surround the area um, or listen into some of your guys' stories that you bring in and just kind of analyze them from a different point of view and see what's going on or the creepiness behind it. Well, perfect. So speaking of snappy titles for segments, um, I'm going to call my stuff, <laughs> uh, my, my uh, literary review and, and discussion section, uh, Studying the Strange, Eat That. Ooh, I love it. Well, I'm changing mine to the occulty corner. It sounds like a bakery that sells pentagram cookies. I would go there. I mean, I would too. This sounds like a good idea. This, this so we'll, we'll make lots of money doing that. Okay. Anyway, um, so on our first <laughs> studying the strange segment, I wanted to talk about something that kind of introduces us to the the general topic of of this 
particular podcast episode. Um, and you'll notice a, definitely a through thread here. Uh, specifically, we're going to be dealing with extraterrestrials today. Woohoo! I love this topic so much. As do I. Um, a lot of my favorite horror anything comes from you know, or deals with that topic. And so I'm going to di- uh, bring up one of my very personal favorite short stories uh, that deals with an extraterrestrial being, uh, specifically Lovecraft's The Color Out of Space. Now, this is a really cool story because I think it gives an opportunity to kind of discuss the idea of extraterrestrial life in, in a very fresh and unique way. And that's kind of a maybe a weird thing to say since it came out in 1927 originally. But even still, like just compared to almost any other you know, science fiction horror stories, um, I think it's just one of the, the freshest takes on alien life I've ever seen. So just just kind of a... Uh, so, so this time around, I'm just going to going to give a, a kind of brief synopsis of the story itself. I'm not going to spend too much time on Lovecraft himself. Um, I think that's a whole nother podcast that we could do, honestly. Oh, absolutely. And I actually really kind of intend um, over time to, to maybe touch on some of these key players in the horror genre, you know, Poe, Lovecraft, Shelley, and, and, you know, many other writers kind of over, over time with, with this segment of the podcast. But uh, today I just kind of want to talk about the story because it really does heavily tie into the idea of extraterrestrial life. So the basic story is that in Massachusetts, just west of Lovecraft's famous town of Arkham, um, and and he goes to a place uh, that's uh, locally referred to as the Blasted Heath, uh, which is an area that's just kind of dead. Like there's like no vegetation, everything is dead. Like the ground is gray. It sounds like a pretty awesome like supernatural paranormal bar i feel like we have a business opportunity here come to the blasted heath get your drinks and i imagine they would have like shakes featuring heath bars but regardless (laughs) or a cthulhu shot i would be all over that man we need to talk other money-making ideas maybe not on the podcast so people don't steal our ideas no kidding our first pilot was a shame for social media and this episode we're just coming up with business ideas Eh. Hey, whatever makes us the, that sweet, sweet money. <laughs> oh, yeah, because we're going to make so much money podcasting. Uh, so anyway, um, but so this I, this area, basically this the, the story is that this surveyor who has no name, who is the protagonist of the story, he is just going and he's checking it out. He's heard that it's kind of a weird place. And so he goes and he talks to this guy named Amy Pierce. Um, I assume that's how you pronounce his name. It's A-M-M-I. And because he, he's heard from everyone that he's the one to talk to about the Blasted Heath area. And so he um, says, hey, so, you know, what's going on with this area? You know, what, what's the story here? And so Annie tells a story about a meteorite that landed right in that area uh, on a farm of one uh, Nahum Gardner. And when it landed, it basically was one, just a really weird material. It's kind of like this... Uh, metal that, that, that it describes almost as being like plastic. Uh, and some scientists come and check it out because, you know, a meteorite fell. And they, um, you know, try to like break off a chunk and it they have to like kind of awkwardly like hook some off because it's not really just metal that can break off normally. Um, and it says that it just like kind of fizzles and evaporates really quickly. And it, when they look at it under a microscope, it has these properties that give it... Um, Stuff that's that's kind of outside the normal range of light that's coming off of it, um, and you know it says that there are colors that you know are kind of beyond you know the what the human eye had ever experienced coming off of this thing. And so, after a day or so, the meteorite is then struck by lightning a whole bunch of times, and so everything is destroyed. Now, at first, you know that was the extent of the weird experience. Oh, you know this meteorite comes, it gets struck by lightning, and then it's gone. But then some weird stuff starts happening to Nahum Gardner's farm. Um, all of the crops start getting like really big, but then just get like really rotten and nasty. And so life starts suddenly starts becoming dark and weird and falling apart. And, and, and then it starts just affecting Nahum's family. Uh, his wife goes mad and he locks her up in the attic and he starts to get isolated from, you know, the rest of his family and from the people in town. And so, and then, you know, like his sons start to go mad and he just, is freaking out more and more about like what's going on and does he have any idea what's going on or are they just thinking that their lives are falling apart 
he doesn't really know. He 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 talks about you know just how everything is is weird, and then he starts talking about how a color has infected his wife, and so he's just getting weirder and weirder. And then Amy Pierce, the the guy who the surveyor is getting the story from, then you know talks about how he went and you know spoke to Nahum, and just you know is, is trying to figure out what's going on and. Basically, they as they're walking around, they're they're seeing like the skeletons of, of the dead family members, and they um, start to see like these shapes that are are these colors that are kind of incomprehensible, and really, it basically just kind of permanently like mentally messes him up. You know, kind of drives him mad, and then they see these like color shapes. So essentially, it is a sentient color that's outside of the spectrum that a human should be able to see um and the human mind can't really comprehend it and so everyone who sees it goes mad it's destroying all of the the, uh life around it it's like absorbing everything and sucking all the life and color and everything out of everything in the surrounding and then eventually it just shoots up into the sky and disappears and so i mean that's basically the story and so it's just you know the the main character is being told this story by Amy years later. And so it's just really bizarre, but I love it because it presents the idea of extraterrestrial life being so alien. You know, it's it's a sentient color. I mean, where do you hear anything like that? I mean, the only really thing that comes to mind when you were explaining kind of the plot synopsis was Little Shop of Horrors. You know, you have this plant that's an alien, but even then, like a color you know, making people go crazy and being this extraterrestrial, it just kind of, it's hard to wrap your head around it in a way. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think it, that's what makes it such a strong piece of writing is because, I mean, really, if there is extraterrestrial life, it may have nothing to do with what we're built like. It might not be carbon based. It might not even be, you know, on the same sort of, you know, wavelength uh, you know, it might not have any like normal cellular structures as we define them. Right, absolutely. And I think that's kind of a cool thing about this story is, you know, whenever we hear of an alien or extraterrestrial, we always automatically assume, you know, gray humanoid being, you know, probing, doing all sorts of weird stuff, abductions. Um, but again, like you said, if, you know, extraterrestrial life does in fact exist, you know, who knows what it really is, whether it is carbon-based or whether it is this, you know, possessing color that makes people go crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, it's rare enough to even see stuff that doesn't really define our kind of conventional humanoid life form. And so to, to have it be this abstract, I think, is wonderful. And and really, I just I want more writing, be it science fiction or horror or whatever, that deals with the idea of life that is so, so different than what we define as a, a being should be. I agree, yeah. So in conclusion, what color would drive you crazy? What would be like the color you'd be terrified of or your alien color? Um, puce. Puce. <laughs> I was just going to say, is it chartreuse? Um, I, mine is probably orange. I've never liked the color orange. It always just kind of doesn't go with anything, except Halloween. That's fair. So... Still, regardless of those colors, though, nothing's quite as maddening as that color out of space. There you have it. Our first segment. We had our pilot episode last time, and now we're breaking in these new segments. And I'm, for one, I want to read the story now. I think it is highly, highly engaging, a very different take on aliens. And I'm, for one, I'm probably going to look it up. Yeah, you definitely should. It's, I mean, it's only like 20 pages long. I mean, Lovecraft's writing is really strong. It's, it's really very powerful, very readable, um, even though it's, you know, almost, a, well, let's see, it's 90 years old. But I'd say his writing is a lot more natural uh, to read as a modern reader than a lot of stuff, you know, even from, you know, 30 years later. So let's, for the audience, just kind of go over again where they can find this, what the title is again, just so that they have it fresh now that you've kind of explained what the story is. Okay, so it's The Color Out of Space. It's by H.P. Lovecraft. Um, You can probably just find it by searching for it on Google. Pretty much everything by Lovecraft is now public domain, so you can uh, find it, you know, typically probably just find a a free audio uh, recording of it on, like, YouTube, free ebook version, or just, you know, hit up a library. It's going to be in 
pretty much any complete um, Lovecraft collection, especially anything that deals with the Lovecraft, uh, Lovecraft Cthulhu mythos, as it is part of that mythos. Awesome. Well, thank you, Nathaniel, for your awesome, awesome review of this wonderful book. Short story. Short story. Yeah, I guess it's 20 pages long. That constitutes a short story, not a book. Yeah. This is why you're the English major. Soon to be English teacher. That's right. All right, let's move into kind of our main big focus for the podcast. I hope the audience is ready because we are going to get deep into the movie alien i'm sure everyone was shocked that that was our <laughs> top pick for extraterrestrial life yeah what we're trying to do here is we realized that we talked about a lot of great movies in the pilot episode so we thought why not go through each one and just kind of review the movies because we love them so much we're passionate about them they're good movies it would just kind of make sense to kind of keep flowing with these these movies Yes, absolutely. And so I want to just take a moment to talk about why Alien is one of the two greatest horror movies ever made. And we will be talking about if it is a horror movie or if it is a sci-fi movie. Or both. Or both. I just saw this movie probably about a month ago. I had heard so much about it. And I first saw it and I thought to myself, Nathaniel's crazy. This isn't a horror movie. It's completely a sci-fi movie. And that didn't go over very well at the beginning, so we wanted to kind of hash that out a little bit on the podcast and maybe get your guys' opinion as well. What do you think it is? I know I've been asking a few family members and other friends what they consider it as, and so we'll get to that when we talk about genre as a whole. Okay, so I guess maybe we should just give a a basic rundown of the plot of Alien, just that way if anyone is unfamiliar with it, um, they can kind of at least know roughly what we're talking about. And again, if you haven't seen this movie, please go see it. It's fantastic piece of art. But again, our podcast, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of the plot and everything that happens within the movie. So again, spoilers will abound. We're going to spoiler all over you people. So just keep that in mind, please. Yes, prepare to be spoiled like a brat. So the basic story of Alien is that there is a ship that is just hauling some cargo. Uh, this is um, about 150 years in the future. And this ship is called the Nostromo. And they are basically just a, a crew of people who were just, you know, doing a basic job. Just, you know, they're basically truckers in space. That's really what it boils down to. That sounds so thrilling. I'm I know, a right? space trucker. Well, see... And, and I'm going to get into why I, I actually really love that choice in a, in a minute, but let me, I guess, give the whole plot rundown, and then I'll get into to why I love even just little details like that. Um, <laughs> I mean, you could have three podcasts about this movie. I'm going to have to keep a tight leash on you. Yeah, I'm going to start foaming at the mouth a little bit. <laughs> um, but so, basically, these space truckers wake up from cryo sleep, and once they kind of look at you know where they are on their navigational charts, they realize that they were woken up months uh, in advance of them returning to Earth with their cargo. And so you know they're trying to figure out what's going on, and, and they realize that uh, the reason that the ship woke them up was because they, they were hailed uh, by a strange distress beacon coming from a nearby planet. So they go and check it out. Now, this results in them uh, you know, landing on the planet's surface. There's this big, giant alien spaceship, and uh, the spaceship is, is an alien race that's referred to um, as a space jockey, though not directly in the film. It's, it's mostly just in uh, other text. But they go and check out the space jockey ship. And, and mind you, this is the first experience that they've ever uh, that humans have ever run into aliens ever. And they go and check it out, and all of the space jockeys are dead. Um, and so they're like, what's going on? Why is this, this distress beacon? You know, what's up with the ship? And as they're exploring it, they find a bunch of weird leathery eggs. Now, these eggs, one of them opens up and a weird alien creature referred to as a face hugger jumps out and attaches itself to the uh, face of one of the crew members and basically that makes bad things start happening (laughs) do (laughs) you want to face hugger do you want to take it from here at all or yeah absolutely and so the crew um you know experience this crazy alien face hugger attacking one of the crewmates and they start heading back to their spaceship 
Um, however, they have this crew member who's got this crazy alien attached to them. And I believe it's Sojourney Weaver. Is that how you say your name? Sigourney. Sigourney. Sojourney. I'm probably going to call her Sojourney more than once. I apologize. Um, I'll laugh at you. Okay, it's fine. How about we just call her Ripley? Because that's what they call her on the show. Yeah, Ellen Ripley. She sees these people entering with this extraterrestrial attached to them, and she like freaks out it's completely against the code she wants to quarantine them to make sure that it doesn't cross into the spaceship which is something that i really like about the movie is that the actors make intelligent decisions at least they try to make intelligent decisions a lot of the time in horror movies your actors and actresses and the people that they are playing just make idiotic and stupid decisions But Ripley's character is very smart from the beginning. She recognizes that this is something that should not be on the spaceship, and she tries to keep it out of the spaceship. Unfortunately, her crewmates don't really agree with her in that regard, and ultimately this facehugger extraterrestrial gets on board of the spaceship. Yes, and so um, once it's inside, their uh, science officer named Ash moves the uh, afflicted crewmate uh, into the medical ward and, and is um, working on, you know, trying to figure out what's going on, you know, what what they can do about this face hugger that's attached to Kane. And basically, you know, Kane's unconscious. They, they can't figure out what's going on or what to do. But, you know, after a period of, of a few hours, maybe a day, suddenly they see that the face hugger has detached itself. It's gone. And so they, you know, poke around and, and they find it dead. And Kane shortly thereafter wakes up and is, you know, feeling okay. And so the crew then goes and, you know, it has a meal to just kind of boost morale and say, hey, like we're all okay, everything's good. And then suddenly, midway through the meal, Kane starts choking and suddenly from his chest bursts a small alien right through his rib cage. <laughs> And I gotta say, that's probably one of the most iconic horror movie scenes that we probably have. You know, there's The Exorcist, where Reagan pukes the pea soup. There's The Shining with the blood and the elevators. And I think this one was really iconic in that regard. You know, even if you haven't seen the movie, you recognize this scene just because it's so overused in other mediums. It's... It's so fun to actually see it. One, for the first time. Again, I I hadn't seen this movie until about a month ago, and so actually seeing it was such a fun experience just because the acting is incredible, the makeup and the puppetry of the alien are just brilliant. It's such a great scene as far as horror goes. Absolutely. I adore that scene. And yeah, a lot of the parodies and you know uh, tributes to it are a lot of fun, but yeah, that scene is as iconic as it is for for very good reason. Absolutely. And so then from there, uh, it basically, the the small alien grows very rapidly and picks off crew members one by one. They're trying to hunt it down. And this, you know, alien, the the xenomorph, is super powerful. It's basically like an ultimate killing machine. And you find out that the science officer, Ash, who is actually an android, uh, has received instructions from the, the ship's computer that preserving this extraterrestrial life is the top priority. And so he's doing things to kind of undermine the efforts of, of the rest of the crew to, uh, to, to kill the alien and, and to get rid of it. And so ultimately they, they have a confrontation with Ash um, and kill him. But ultimately, you know, the, the crew gets whittled down just to Ripley, Sigourney Weaver's character, uh, who then eventually saves herself by first... She destroys the the ship, uh, activates the self-destruct sequence. And then when she gets on the escape pod, realizes that it is uh, is also on the escape pod and then manages to launch it out into space. And she saves the cat. And she saves the cat. (laughs) Jones. Jones the cat. Good old Jonesy. So now that we've kind of given a good plot of kind of what's going on without going into every single little detail, which, again, this episode we could probably do in three episodes because it's such a good movie. Um, I kind of wanted to go in, though, and talk to you. Where I mean, this is one of your favorite movies. This is tied with Silence of the Lambs for you, Nathaniel. 
Um, so let's talk about both of our favorite parts of the movie without going on for three hours because um, we could there's so many good aspects of this movie yes absolutely um do you want to go first uh sure for me seeing this movie for the first time i'd heard so much about it i you know there was this kind of a hype about it you've talked about it constantly i have an aunt uh shout out to martha ingram she's kind of another forerunner in helping me love horror this is her absolute favorite movie, and so I heard about it so much, and I, when I was finally watching it, you know, I was a little hesitant at the beginning because it is very heavy on the sci-fi aspect, you know, there's not really a whole lot of dialogue until what, like 10 minutes in? Yeah, it, there's it's totally silent uh, as far as dialogue for six minutes. And so I had these weird 2001 Space Odyssey flashbacks of... You know, these moments where nothing is really going on. It's just a lot of visual. Um, But for me, probably the two most favorite things that I I gained from this movie was first, the production of the alien and all of its various forms were absolutely amazing. So cool to see. You know, I'm a biology student. I've seen a lot of what they were using in real life. And it was just incredible to actually see. The second thing that I'd have to say is probably the characters and their development and how really they are making good decisions. They're not doing whatever they want or doing what they feel is necessary. They are thinking about things in a pragmatic sense analyzing the situation and then moving forward to the best that they can. You know, Ripley is really the the protagonist in this show and she's the one driving these good heartfelt responses to the situation at hand and I really think that was refreshing to see especially in the horror genre where again most of the time people are doing whatever the hell they want and not really thinking about the consequences. And again, I think probably my favorite, favorite, favorite part of this movie is again, just how realistic the aliens were. I mean, that first face hugger, it looked like a trilobite. You could see, you know, these blood vessels and all of these anatomical parts that I've seen in my college courses. And I was just shocked at how realistic and how cool and how you know biological they really made the aliens look and again that is probably my favorite part about this movie is it's an alien an extraterrestrial movie where the aliens itself are not some superhuman mysterious life form they look very very organic and very real in a sense of what extraterrestrials you know look like people if you're an carbon-based organism, you're going to have to have blood vessels, you're going to have to have all these various components that, you know, the director of this movie just did such a good job at making. And I believe it was Scott Ridley, correct, is the director? Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott, excuse me. So how about yourself, Nathaniel? What is your favorite part? And again, don't take three hours. Okay, well, um, definitely have to agree with you about pretty much everything, you know, about how the aliens looked, how they're designed. H.R. Geiger is the uh, main designer, and he's just a a dark sorcerer, basically, um, as far as just his (laughs) genius um, in making these really... Can I... uh... I want to add that to my my resume. Max George, dark sorcerer. Dark sorcerer of alien design. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, it's just his disturbing, twisted, bizarre uh, work is just genius. And, you know, I I love that. Yeah, he went and he actually took, you know, real organs from, you know, real animals and put them in, especially, you know, at at the bottom of the face hugger, you know, when they're when they're inspecting the dead face hugger. You know, that's that's all real. It looks real because they actually took the time and effort to really make some really real stuff. And then also, I just love that the design of the Xenomorph itself, the full adult version. I love that, you know, if you look at it face on it, it you know, kind of has a human skull look at the end. But it, you know, is, is shot in a way that it, it, you know, still maintains its very unique alien monstrousness over and over again it's just striking how freaky and and bizarre and 
powerful it is. I, I love that. Yeah, each each aspect of it is deadly and dangerous. I also like that that there is a really an interesting approach to really the the whole story that that there's this kind of phallic you know look to to the alien, um, and and that's very deliberate. You know, everything in the movie is super deliberate. You know, essentially we're we're dealing with kind of uh, a rape threat uh, for men, which is a really unusual idea in any sort of uh, fiction. Absolutely. And, you know, to, to see that, you know, basically a man gets impregnated in, in a way and, and then it, you know, bursts out of him. It's it's like the most horrifying, you know, rape and pregnancy sort of idea, um, but put through, you know, for you know these men, basically being men and, you know, being these manly, burly guys who can do their jobs and be the, the hardcore space truckers that they think of themselves as. That's not enough to save. In fact, it just really makes things all the more horrifying when they do get horribly destroyed. And so I, I love this idea that that kind of the, you know, no matter where these characters have their competency at, um, and, and a lot of them are, you know, very good at their jobs. They're very good at, you know, trying to do the best thing for their crew. For example, the captain, Dallas, he, he's really trying to do the best thing he can for his crew. And yeah, that does result in some really poor decisions and, you know, him doing some stuff out of this idea of kind of his own personal machismo. But that's that ultimately is his undoing. Can we talk about the word machismo? That's such a fun word. Machismo. <laughs> Sorry, this is my random brain going. I just love that word. No, and I think this kind of goes back to what we kind of hinted at at the beginning is that another kind of fun aspect about the movie is it's not this like star trek spaceship on some huge mission with these prestigious captains going to save the day you know it's like we talked about it's a space trucker they're just the average joe you know it, the movie does a really good job at the beginning of showing that their job is kind of boring they're good at what they do but it's like everyone else's job that there are good days and there are kind of crappy days exactly and and i love that it's it you know in spite of being a space movie it's it's still a, a very grounded story like you can relate to these characters because they're people that you know they they aren't these kind of distant futuristic space fighters or anything like that which is actually my my biggest qualm with the second film aliens because i mean it, it brings in space marines to to go and battle these uh, xenomorphs but but instead you know we have these very ordinary people who are just trying to do a job and this aliens getting in the way of that. And, you know, then it starts threatening their lives. And so they have to make do with, they don't have guns. They don't have weapons to deal with this. They don't have training to deal with this kind of situation. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, a bunch of people just trying to haul stuff from one end of the galaxy to the other. And they have to improvise. They have to make flamethrowers. They have to come up with their own way of dealing with this horrible problem. And so, yeah, I love that that you see that they are, in fact, actually really competent people. But ultimately, their undoing tends to be when they allow themselves to be cocky, when they go in unprepared, uh, when they underestimate their enemy. And that kind of leads me into what I love so much about the story, uh, looking at the character arc of Ellen Ripley. Ellen Ripley, I think, is one of the best characters in all of fiction and one of the best examples of a, of a strong feminist character because she can be super competent and you know she's she's the sole survivor with the exception of the cat and she does it not just by you know being this hardcore cold hard woman or something like that but instead she does it actually by being empathetic and being the most humane of the humans i was just gonna say she has this sort of humanity about her that really contrasting with this crazy monster who's just destroying everything this humanity that we see in her character really is refreshing and it makes you really respect her as an individual and like you mentioned she's a very big feminist icon in my mind you know she knows what is happening she understands what's good and what's bad and she tries in her the best way that she seems possible to help fix the situation. Yeah, and and I love that. I guess while we were watching the movie, I, I noticed that you near the end of the film, she goes and tries to save the cat Jones, who has run away just you know out of fear, 
and she tries to save him so he can not get destroyed when the, the ship self-destructs. And when that was going on, I, I remember that you kind of kept saying, like, oh, that's that's dumb. That's, that's you know, like, why right, would you do yeah. that? Well, and looking back, you know, when you're in the moment and everything's going so fast-paced, you're like, it's just a cat. Like, save yourself, save yourself. But when you take a step back and you look at her character development and you look at what is really going on with her, of course she would save the cat. Well, yeah, and, and that's her biggest strength as a person is that that's her humanity coming through. That's the thing that sets her apart from the alien and is what allows her to defeat it is because she is the most human person. She's the one who actually cares the most and is, you know, shows shows these moments where she is not this just, you know, cold calculating killing machine like the alien or like what the others try to do to defeat the alien. Um, She takes the time to actually care, actually try to do what is actually best for herself and for others and you know the fact that she spends the time in uh, thinking about others is why she lives and why she ultimately defeats it and so i love that 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 uh, character arc because one i mean you know we we don't really see enough uh, characters in really any sort of genre uh, that you know that their biggest strength is their their kindness and and their humanity and to to see that in in a fairly action packed horror thriller sci-fi film is is such a wonderful thing well, and I think in the horror genre itself, there are very few iconic feminist role models that you see. You know, a lot of the times when you get, you know, the female gender in a horror movie, it's, you know, they're a sex icon or they're kind of the stupid icon or, you know, they have these kind of reoccurring tropes that get just so overdone. And really, it's just so disrespectful because when you contrast that kind of a stereotype with what Ripley was able to accomplish in the movie, that's real life. You know, how many women do we know out there who are just heroes and who really know what is what about life and have this huge, ginormous sense of humanity to go and save the cat, so to speak? Yes. It's going to be a new hashtag that we're going to do, you know, hashtag save the cat. <laughs> our feminist movement for the podcast shameless social media plug yeah there you go Um, so now that we have kind of teased apart those really just great awesome parts of the movie what is your least favorite part of alien do you have one nathaniel um if something you had a critique or you would change what would you do i would say maybe the the pacing and the first section of the movie could have been sped up just a little bit i i feel like you know it it definitely does a good job of taking its time and and making it feel realistic as far as people doing their job and so you know when when things start to go bad and you know when the facehugger attacks feels like you've been watching the movie for a good while when that happens and so i think just maybe just trimming down some of those scenes a little bit uh, really could have helped with the pacing. And also, I guess my only other complaint is just that maybe the chest burster goes to full adult scene more a little bit faster than makes sense. Yeah, I was going to say that's going to be my biggest critique and probably my least favorite part of the movie. You know, again, I'm a, I'm a biology major. I studied kind of the development of these these animals and so when it is a face hugger it was really kind of congruent with how a species like that should act and then it goes off and does its you know cocoon metamorphosis thing and then all of a sudden it's like this adolescent juvenile alien that just kind of popped out of nowhere there was no kind of missing link species for lack of a better term in between the two yeah, it seems like a Pokemon that was missing its second or third <laughs> stage, or of three stages. Exactly. Exactly. There was no Ivysaur. It was Bulbasaur straight to Venusaur. Yeah. And, and like, I, I appreciate that that's kind of part of why they underestimate it at the beginning. But even still, it felt like it was maybe a bit too much of a leap. Like, I, I wouldn't have minded if there was kind of a middle stage in which it still really wrecks somebody. But didn't necessarily have to be as big and horrifying uh, as it is right off the bat when it comes down in, from those chains and kills the uh, uh, maintenance guy whose name is escaping me right now. Well, and to keep the you know Pokemon theme, it was like this 
Dratini line where Dratini is this small dragon Pokemon and then boom, all of a sudden you have Dragonite that doesn't look anything like it at all. Yeah. And it just, it felt a little disjointed, but again, the movie is so good that you don't really care. Yeah, that's fair. Then the only other thing that I might bring up is that a few of the effects didn't age super gracefully. I mean, their computers definitely feel like something from (laughs) the old 1970 as opposed to, you know, anything realistic or, or futuristic at all. But, I mean, that's fine. That's not to, anything to complain about. They they were doing the best they could with what they had at the time. And then also just the, the scene uh, in which the android Ash, uh, his head gets cut off, and then they take the floppy, you know, fake head and, and then put it on, and then it's suddenly, you know, talking. Yeah. That transition's a little awkward. But, I mean, straining it out. They did what they could for the time, you know. But, I mean, if you can suspend your disbelief for, you know, the fact that there's an alien on a, on a spaceship... Well, you know, I think you can suspend your disbelief about the, you know, smooth transition of special effects. When, especially when you look at all the other practical effects, they're so, so good. True. So now let's kind of get into kind of the controversial topic for this movie is what kind of genre should we classify it? Is it a full horror movie? Is it a full sci-fi movie? Or does it kind of bleed in between the two? Because when I first saw this movie about a month ago, I straight out kind of told you, I don't think this is a horror. This kind of struck me more as a sci-fi movie. Well, it certainly has sci-fi elements. Um, So I will give you that. And so, I mean, you can definitely say it is for sure a science fiction movie. You know, there's a strong humans in space aliens you know all of those things are, are very big elements of, of the sci-fi genre so you know i'll definitely give you that it is for sure a science fiction film so i guess what i wanted to do is i pulled up you know the wikipedia actually it's filmsite.org and it kind of describes what the horror genre is and then also what the sci-fi genre is mm-hmm. so um let me just take a minute and kind of read these to to kind of give the audience a broader idea of what these two genres entail um so for horror movie it describes horror films are unsettling films designed to frighten and panic cause dread and alarm and to invoke our hidden worst fears often in a terrifying shocking finale while captivating and entertaining us at the same time in a cathartic experience so based on this definition, Alien fulfills all of this, I think, very well. Checks all those boxes. Absolutely. Um, now for sci-fi, science fiction film, or sci-fi, is a genre that uses speculative, fictional, science-based depictions of phenomena that are not fully accepted by mainstream science, such as extraterrestrial life forms, alien worlds, extrasensory perception, time travel, along with futuristic elements such as spacecraft, robots, etc., etc. And again, I think Alien really falls into this category as well. Yes, for sure. And so I guess, you know, kind of the question is, so if it were just one of those, what would you say it is then? Sci-fi? You know, I don't know. I don't know if I, you know, after reading the descriptions and talking to a lot of people, I do see where it is a horror movie. And especially after reading that description... You know, Alien does a very good job at taking elements of life and, you know, twisting them into a different medium to help us understand them and realize with them. Like you mentioned, this idea of this feminist overcoming all of the challenges that she's facing. Yes, for sure. And also, I mean, if you really look at the formula of the film, you know, look at, you know, okay, what is the plot doing? Like, how is it structured? It's basically a haunted house film on a spaceship. Um, no, it doesn't have ghosts, but I mean the way that things progress with the plot and the way that the characters are getting killed off, all of that is very much a parallel to any haunted house ghost type movie I've ever really seen. And I agree. I definitely agree with that. And I've asked a few people what they think the movie is and kind of the general consensus that I've been getting is it falls within this happy medium of the two, that it has a huge horror aspect to it. But at the same time, you know, it's set in space, there's spaceships, extraterrestrial life, that it also has these very big elements of sci-fi. Yeah. And 
I mean, I'd say that this is definitely the most horror of any of of the Alien films. I know you haven't seen the other ones yet. I, I haven't seen the newest one, but as far as like uh, Aliens and Alien Three and Alien Resurrection, the rest of those are more of a straight up sci fi film series, especially Aliens. So the second Alien film, that one really is pretty much like straight up action sci fi. You know, space marines versus aliens, versus, you know, as opposed to this you know slow methodical scary film and if anyone in the audience disagrees with all of this if you think it is purely a horror or purely a sci-fi or think where we're coming from is just completely bogus please let us know i'd love to hear kind of what other people take on this genre debate yes and i'll i'll also like to hear what what you think as far as what is the best alien film it's pretty divided among the fans of whether alien or aliens is the best and i will fight you tooth and nail for alien being the best because it is and i would love to have an argument with you on the internet about that yeah definitely let us know please let us know shameless twitter plug shameless social media plug (laughs) so as far as the movie goes is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we wrap up our review of alien well, we both know that I want to talk about all the things. It's true. You know, one day if I'm out of town and we need to record a podcast, you can just do whatever you want with Alien. I'll just share a whole bunch of cool Alien trivia. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Because you were full of it. After we watched the movie about a month ago, you just were popping it off like nothing else. It was awesome. Well, then, should we move into kind of the third portion of the podcast? Yep, over to your occult corner or whatever. Max's occult corner? I'm doing a super fun dance that no one can see. (laughs) I I can't even see it. I know. Well, my title for this kind of segment for the podcast is a little misleading because not everything that I'm going to be discussing necessarily is occult-based. I'm just a huge fan of the occult and... Uh, I love it. But again, a lot of the stuff that we're going to be treating will be more focused on urban legends or, you know, spooky stories that audience listeners have brought in or even just kind of local stories that we hear about. And that is what we're going to be talking about today is a kind of this urban legend out of East Utah that is just really fascinating and honestly is a huge hub for extraterrestrial aficionados that is just here in Utah, you know, little, small, western Utah has this huge, huge kind of area that is just heavily extraterrestrial focused. Quick point of clarification. Absolutely. Eastern Utah, not western. Did I say western? I thought I said eastern. You said western. Oh, well, yes, excuse me, eastern, eastern Utah. Um, And so what this is, is Skinwalker Ranch. Dun, dun, dun. Um, And you have actually a lot of really personal stories about this place that I'm excited to hear, maybe one or two. Yes. Um, But first, kind of what I wanted to do in this segment is pick apart kind of the two aspects that are coming out of Skinwalker Ranch. The first being, what is a Skinwalker? And then the second, going into Skinwalker Ranch and how it has really nothing to do with the tradition of a Skinwalker in some regards. Yeah, and and so I think we should maybe very lightly touch on Skinwalkers and then maybe dig into them a lot more in depth later. Uh, Especially, you know, I might be able to to get us someone who who can talk uh, to or speak to the uh, actual like Navajo tradition around the idea of of uh, skinwalkers i totally agree yeah because really skinwalker ranch is more heavily extraterrestrial based and doesn't have a whole lot of pull into this navajo tradition yeah um but for sake of clarity uh skinwalker does come from the navajo tradition it comes from a word that is loosely translated to by means of it he or she goes on all fours And so what basically a skinwalker is, is you have this traditional sense of a shaman within your, you know, Native American communities, kind of a medicine man type of a figurehead. And the skinwalker, excuse me, takes that and kind of flips it on its head, creates this, you know, demonic, evil, 
type of a shaman whose full intent is to really cause chaos and discord within the communities. Usually there's someone within the Navajo community who's kind of gone rogue and start to develop an interest in black magic or evil associations. And in order to become a full-fledged skinwalker, the legends state that they have to kill someone either within their family or someone who is very close to them. And by doing that, it allows them to develop all of these type of negative magical abilities. And primarily the one that is highlighted in the media and in, you know, pop fiction is their ability to transform. In a sense, it's kind of the Native American idea of a werewolf, except much more broad, much more powerful in my mind. A lot scarier. Um, Yes, very much so. They're kind of this mix of, you know, a were animal. They can turn into, you know, various types of animals, whether that be a bear or a coyote or a wolf, anything like that. Um, but also this type of warlock kind of shaman where they can curse people and bring negative um, aspects to individuals. And kind of the interesting thing that I thought is really awesome not awesome, but really insightful into the Skinwalker tradition is the Navajo culture doesn't like it at all. And so they are very hush-hush about what all is involved in the Skinwalker type of a ceremony, which I think is really interesting that it's just something so taboo that to this day they try and keep very quiet about. Um, now that goes into Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, Skinwalker Ranch is also known as Sherman Ranch, and it's approximately 480 acres out, kind of southeast of Ballard, Utah. Um, and this ranch has been known as Skinwalker Ranch because there have been a couple of sightings of where people feel like these humanoids are running on all fours, trying to keep up with their cars on the side of the road. A lot of different kind of mythos about these creatures. However, a lot more kind of reportings about UFO activity have come out of Skinwalker Ranch. You have a lot of UFO sightings, a lot of cattle mutilations, a ton of just different, more extraterrestrial focused events that have happened on Skinwalker Ranch. And so really Skinwalker Ranch, the title is a little misleading because there have been sightings of these Navajo evil shaman, but really the bulk of the paranormal activity that's going on in this location revolves around extraterrestrial activity. Yes, absolutely. I can share some at least secondhand stories about some of that extraterrestrial activity. Yes, please. I, I know you have family. Is that what it is based out kind of in eastern Utah? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, most of my dad's side of the family um, is out in the Uinta Basin area, so eastern Utah. And one of my uncles actually was pretty good friends with the owner of Sherman Ranch, a.k.a. Oh, awesome. Skinwalker I didn't know Ranch. that. That's great. Yeah, um, they were pretty good buddies. So he actually saw some of these uh, unusual things firsthand and has shared those stories you know, with, with family members. And so that's kind of, kind of how I heard about all of this. So the first thing that's unusual that he has seen is orbs. You know, basically just an orb of light flies around, uh, kind of, it's it's fairly unexplained. You know, it's probably about the size of I'd say a baseball, and just yeah, you know, kind of flies around through the air, doing you know some interesting uh, twists and turns, and then you know will disappear. Um, and he said that uh, on several occasions when he was in that area, uh, he saw them. Uh, some uh, sometimes large groups of orbs flying around. Other times it would just be one or two, but very unusual to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, orbs, you find them all over uh, kind of ghost sightings, ghost locations. I know if you go to the Ogden Cemetery here in Utah, um, there are tons of documented cases where orbs appear in photographs. So it doesn't surprise me that orbs would be commonly found out there at Skinwalker Ranch. Yes, and so there's so that's one of the most common things. And from uh, what I understand, those orbs were kind of the first thing that the owners of the ranch uh, experienced, too. At least they started to kind of see them at night, and then you know, sometimes they would do stuff like fly, uh, you know, two of them in parallel, and it almost looked like someone like someone's headlights, you know, driving around their property or something like that. And so 
they'd go out and inspect and then it would you know do something some sort of maneuver that was not possible for a vehicle to do like hop over a fence and fly away and so they you know at first we're just thinking that people were you know driving around their property trying to steal from them or something like that but it ended up being a little bit more unusual than that (laughs) um any other kind of stories that you want to share before we start closing up uh yeah so the other story is is around uh something that's also really uh heavily documented at skinwalker ranch uh, which is specifically there's a lot of sightings of kind of unusual animals and uh unusual humanoid uh, figures as you mentioned there's kind of you know these humanoid figures that uh, have been seen like running along vehicles a lot of times uh, those have been referred to as looking very yeti like uh, almost like you know bigfoot or something like that which my, my uncle uh, couldn't confirm any of that he never had any experiences with that but another thing uh, was actually uh really really abnormally large wolves which is very weird because one wolves are mostly not in utah most of them have, have been kind of killed off they're slowly making a comeback, but uh, a lot of these experiences that he had, they were, you know, officially declared basically totally gone from the area uh, when he saw these abnormally sized wolves that had like abnormal eye colors, things like that. And so some of the stories that, you know, he had heard from his his buddy, the owner of the ranch, uh, had been, you know, involving stuff where they would like come over and act very tame and then like abruptly like attack a, a cow or something like that. Sure. But my uncle actually uh, had the opportunity to hunt on that land because, I mean, it's good hunting land. He had permission of the owner because he was friends with him. And so he was out hunting one time and he saw one of those wolves and it uh, came at him and it was growling at him and it was acting very aggressively. And out of fear for his life, he shot it. Now, you definitely don't shoot wolves if, unless you absolutely have to. They're an endangered species. Sure. And so he, you know, when he shot it, he said at first he shot it and it it pierced through the side, and it didn't like even flinch. And he could see in the cold air it breathe and it just kind of had like puffs of steam come out of the side. And so that freaked him out, understandably. And so then he decided, okay, well, shoot, uh, it's still coming at me. And so he shot it again. Um, this time it dropped it. And so he then you know realized, oh crap, I just shot an endangered species you know even if it was you know self-defense it could potentially get me into some trouble so he borrowed a shovel and quickly buried it he said that he was then in that area uh, the next day and walked past where he had buried the wolf and it had dug itself out (laughs) Uh, spooky yep and that's kind of a, you hear a lot of stories that are similar, especially revolving around the skinwalker and not so much the extraterrestrial, about these kind of mutant animals that no one really knows how to ex- describe or, you know, explain. And so that's, I love that story because it's such a good example and it's a home example. I mean, this is your uncle who's telling you this story. It's not something you just read online. Yeah, I really wish that I could have him on the podcast, but unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago. Well, as far as that goes, that's kind of pretty much everything that I wanted to cover with the Skinwalker Ranch. So I feel like we should move into the very last portion of our podcast, which is just to answer any questions or comments that anyone had for us. Yep. And so we put out a request for any questions about extraterrestrial life on Twitter and got one response from at Mark the Ferg, who is a good friend of mine. And he asked, we make first contact with an alien species. What's the scariest scenario that you can think of that doesn't involve a full-scale invasion? So I'll pitch that at you first. That's a great question. I've been thinking about this since he asked that question. And really, I think... The scariest thing to me would be an alien species who comes in and, like he mentions, a full-scale invasion, not so much, but somehow is able to disguise themselves as, you know, some top political person or someone in the community and starts to kind of manipulate things from a a higher standpoint. So more uh, invasion of the body snatchers than exactly, the world. Exactly, yeah kind of this antichrist, this person who everyone really is in high esteem, but then behind the scenes is just manipulating everyone for their own advantage. Okay. Which 
is a little bit more accurate with today's political system than normal. <laughs> yeah, it would explain a lot. It would. <laughs> Including the skin color of our president. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I, I think that would definitely be a, a very scary scenario. I actually kind of lean more towards the, the Lovecraftian, um, you know, color out of space kind of thing where it's it's just so incomprehensible that we can't really communicate. We can't understand it and and you know maybe even that it could be so bizarre and terrifying that it just drives us mad well that's a good one too yeah full circle back to the color yep (laughs) it's how we roll So that that is all that we had today for the second episode of our podcast um i personally just want to thank everyone who has listened and given us support it's so fun to see everyone getting so involved in this podcast and again i just want to let everyone know that now this podcast you can find it pretty much on every um, means that you listen to podcasts we're on itunes we're on podomatic we're on stitcher pretty much you search for scream kings on the program that you use for podcast and you'll find us yep and it's super cool to see once again just see you know our name our our podcast cover image come up on all of those also, just, yeah, I wanted to do a, a little shout out to my wife who has given us tons and tons of feedback. Is basically almost a producer on the show at this point. It really is true. Her linguistic background has helped us so much from even just the first episode. Linguistics and theater and all of that has, has been a big help. And yeah, she's given us tons of notes. So yeah, if, if this uh, continues, she'll definitely end up probably being uh, getting some producer credits or something from the show. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up stuff for me so do we want to just kind of hint at what we're going to talk about next time absolutely go ahead well we're uh, going through a lot of the favorite films that we mentioned last time so next time we're going to talk about the evil dead i'm so excited as am i and of course that may come with some discussion of oh lovecraft's necronomicon and and some other fun little tidbits like that so definitely i'm come so back. excited because for my occult corner i actually own the necronomicon so you know maybe we can read some passages about it yes mm-hmm. i am I'm so excited i am very very excited as well so you should all be excited too and uh, we hope to uh, have you come back soon Yes, and again, please listen to us in any means possible, and if you could leave us a review, if you liked us, if you hated us, hopefully you liked us, please leave us reviews, that helps us get our podcast more known. Yep, and so in the meantime, uh, keep screaming silently into the void of space. And look for episode three coming your way. 